You're listening to the City Lights Podcast. City Lights is a church located in Greenville, South Carolina, devoted to building family, blessing neighbors, and bringing good news to the nations. Thanks for joining us. We are in a series um, called Adore, and uh, it's, it's, it's about those common people, the shepherds, and it's about uh, the Magi, and it's about Mary and Joseph and common everyday, in these days, mechanics and web designers and graphic designers and people like you and me, they're all gathered at one place for some strange, profound, divine reason to gather around the manger. And uh, they were drawn. They were invited verbally, but I believe they were spiritually drawn to that manger. And there's all kinds of emotions that come up out of human beings like me when we're around the true presence of Jesus. I mean, not church. I mean, like the presence of God. And there's wonder and amazement and and joy and terror and fear and awe, certainly not boredom. Uh, But the word that I feel like um, in my heart, in in meditation, has has just gripped me this Christmas is the word adore from that old hymn. To adore Jesus is, in Webster's definition, to um, have a divine delight and to bow down and worship. And and so um, wherever you are, emotionally, spiritually, wherever you are, um, the Christmas story is about all people from all places being drawn to Jesus to find out that he is worthy of adoration and he's worthy of worship. And so um, if you're new here or haven't been around so much on the holidays, I want to make a few uh, baby introductions to you. Uh, We had a baby dedication probably a couple months ago. There was 15 babies that were uh, up here um, on the stage to be dedicated. There's a few more that I've heard of and know of that are uh, on the way. And so uh, 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 we've been very, very blessed in being fruitful and multiplying. Um, But this uh, is Haley and Jordan Gresscamp. And Jordan serves back there um, on sound most of the time. And Haley serves in kids. And that beautiful face you're looking at there is Everly Grace. And she was born on December the 5th. And mom and dad are well and super just in uh, honeymoon phase, just the beautiful glow of of having a new baby around the house. And uh, super, super sweet um, baby. Also alongside uh, with her earlier in December as well, Tanner and Elise Wilson. Uh, Tanner is one of our deacons and Elise serves with kids um, gave birth to their uh, first baby girl, Isabella, on December the 9th, and uh, checking in with them. Um, Tanner actually has four weeks of, of off, and so he's gotten a chance to spend time with his, uh, his new uh, baby, and uh, they just talked about, when I text them this morning, uh, the innocence of uh, having a new baby around, and also just the thought of the impact of, like, man, like, how powerful this is, this moment of, of just generational blessing and, and everything that's going to lie in, in their futures. Um, what are the emotions... Um, that you have felt before when you get that text uh, from, a, from a cousin, from a sister, from a friend, and the text says, she's here. What does that feel like? He's here. Those two words that just like change everything. I mean, of course you knew that they were coming. You had a nine-month you know, warning period that the baby's coming, but really there's just a concept in a baby you know, shower invitation to go to and something to buy and something to think. But like when those words come across the screen... Something has happened that's never going to unhappen, and, and there's just something in the atmosphere that changes when you hear or see those words next to each other on an Instagram post, he's here. And, uh, and, and it changes everything. There's, there, there's a level, like, I could even feel maybe a little bit of the Isabella vibe, just knowing that Isabella's somewhere on the planet, right? Or, or uh, the Grest Camp's baby, Everly Grace. Um, you might bump into him at the supermarket if you know him, if that's your baby. You have some new baby in your life, someone that you've not met yet before, probably, and uh, if you go to Publix, you might see them, and it's not going to be two. It's going to be three. And, and it's, it's real. They're here. And not only that, um, you know, if we're part of their life, 
there is now this time ticking of when will I come and visit? Am I going to be one of the first week people that visits or give them a little space in two weeks? There's this phone call away, FaceTime away, one visit away that this person is now going to be a part of our lives uh, that changes everything. And, uh, and so beneath the 2,000 years of just cultural Christianity that has just buried us in gifts and movies and popcorn and cake and all that kind of stuff, underneath that, um, the Lord has just been persistent. I mean, just think about the testimony of that, like 2,000 years from what? The world measures the beginning of time and the before and after hinge of history based on this event that Jesus shows up. And underneath all of that cultural humming and, and, and chugging along that I think that the, the beat of our culture drives us in through the month of November and December, underneath all that, it's just a simple message that Christmas brings to us this morning, is that Jesus is here. It's not any more complicated than that or any more expensive than that or any more uh, sophisticated than that. It's, it's simple that this is heaven has provided the greatest gift that all of humanity could have good, great joy, you know, um, good news, great joy, all people, and that's that Jesus is here. For the person that's um, um, burned out, tired, um, losing, uh, losing their innocence, the person that is, is, is wrestling with their faith, Jesus is here. For the person that's been too busy to even stop because they're raising all the kids and doing all the things and spending all the plates, Jesus is here. Jesus here is a message that means that he's in Greenville. Jesus is around us. And uh, the older you get, the more you realize that not only is, is Jesus a, a real person, a real thing, but evil is a real person, a real thing. That evil is around us. And evil's in our town and in our city, and there is deep problems and heartache and racial tensions and Futures unknown economically that go on locally and nationally. None of that matters more than the fact that Christmas says Jesus is here. That, um, that Jesus is here, the message of Jesus here is that he's not just out there, but he's in here. That across the aisle right now, the person next to you, like, the relationships are not completely whole, right? That the marriages have frictions, that the friendships have distance, that intimacy is a challenge, it's an uphill thing that there's brokenness within the relationships, even in this church, the body of Christ, but that's not more significant than the message that Jesus is here among us, that Jesus is around us, and he's among us, and not only that, that Jesus is inside you. If you've accepted Jesus, if you've been baptized and been born again in Jesus, that Jesus is in you. The line of, of evil, you know, it crosses across political divides and age divides, like the line is not, uh, does not play favorites. The line of good and evil draws straight through the, the central part of every human heart in this room. And you and I have sin that we still are wrestling with and still contend with, but that's not as heavy and as important as the fact that Jesus is in you and Jesus is here. So this word adore, it captures all of the emotions from multiple locations and multiple Enneagram types and multiple emotions that would catch us in 2022 of wonder and terror and joy and amazement. But it all comes down to... um, Adoration. And uh, there's different characters we've been looking at. Timothy did a fantastic job opening up the series, talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth and how their, how their despair got turned into wonder because of their invitation to Jesus. And, uh, and, and last week, we, we, we looked at the shepherds and, and the first instinct. I mentioned last week of those in the room that struggle with anxiety, like anxiety oftentimes, I think it's just humanity waking up to what's really out there. Like the shepherds had terror because they saw God. God is real. And the idea of meeting face-to-face with God is a terrifying thing because life's terrifying. And it wasn't for the mercy of God that shows the face of God in Jesus. We would have terror, but their terrors turn to joy because of what they see in Jesus. And adoration comes out 
And lastly, we're here uh, with Mary and Joseph, this teenage pregnancy. And uh, I know that um, there's a Hallmark card somewhere that says that God is not the author of confusion. I can't find that anywhere in the Bible because if I'm Joseph, I'm pretty confused. And if you're confused today, there's good news and great joy for all people in this place, for the confused and the distraught and those that are in despair and those that are terrified of what their life might bring today and tomorrow. To bring them to adoration, it's this message that heaven announces that Jesus is here. The angels confirm it and tell us what this means, that Jesus being here means that a Savior is born to us. That Jesus here means that we look into that manger and find a Savior for all people of all nations, which means this, first and foremost, that Jesus is an unwelcomed Savior. Nobody invited this guy. He was born in a manger in the margins of our life, and he chased and followed you before you ever chased and looked for him. And he, he uninvited himself. He uninvitedly made his way and interrupted our history and your life. And if that young life leader came and called you or you ended up showing up at church with a friend or even if you were born on the front pew, but all of a sudden your father's faith made sense to you, like that wasn't you choosing Jesus, that was Jesus choosing you. He came into your life uninvited. And secondly, that it makes us, the fact that he's here, unsuccessful sinners, that he was not only born, but he died and he raised And he gave the greatest gift exchange, the greatest white elephant gift ever given, his life for yours. Anything that you had to offer, which is nothing, which is is sin, in exchange for everything that he has. Spirit for sin. Your future for his future. His family for your family. He traded lives with you and made you an unsuccessful sinner. And... um, and then it has nothing to do. You were, you were, what does John say? You were born of God. It's not by man's decision or your dad's decision. It is by God's decision. And lastly, that uh, because of this, there is an unending sonship, that this is the firstborn, but not the last. And so this is the question that I have for you, the intentional question. We always ask intentional questions for groups and, and friendships and long walks with tea. Is um, if a heaven is, is come to announce to you today that Jesus is here, I think it would ask you today, then where are you? If Jesus is here, then where are you? are you? Are you far off? Are you far off? Is, uh, is your faith just kind of going through the motions, like those shepherds that are just faithfully tending their sheep, but not encountering Jesus? Cold to the touch, spiritually. Is he close, but you can't quite put your finger on him? Can you feel it, but not maybe be able to put the cognitive reply or response. You don't have the words maybe to, to, to gather up your feelings or, or, your, or, or your heart at this moment. Is he close but not quite here? Or is he, is he here? Are you, are you seeing Jesus everywhere? Is he everywhere you look? That's the question that I have for you is, if Jesus is here, then where are you? So Luke 2, this is the passage we'll read today together. If you join with me in, in Luke 2, it says, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. Can you picture how vulnerable these teenagers are? Does anybody in the room have any teenagers? Your daughter is out with her uh, future son-in-law, with her future husband, rather. She's pregnant, but they're not married. They are uh, professing to be virgins, and uh, your daughter has been impregnated by the Holy Spirit. And, not, and, 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 and in, in the midst of all this, like to add insult to injury, so to speak, uh, there's a wild king who has uh, decreed an infant side 
among all of his colonies. In other words, that all of, there's a death warrant out for all firstborn baby boys that, um, that your daughter would have. Can you picture the vulnerability, the fragility of Mary and Joseph's story in this? And out of all this, this guy, Caesar Augustus, you know, holds, this, holds this census, which is really more about population, right? It's a power play. It's I'm going to tell you where you go, who you belong to, what you count for, and what actually counts in this world. There's a census that draws them to the town of Bethlehem. But all the time, while Caesar, Augustus, the one who thinks he's in charge, but is not really in charge, is making all these edicts and makes these decrees that it's ultimately God that decides the fate of Mary and Joseph. That ultimately they are not from Nazareth, and the census actually brings them back to the place they were supposed to be. The place of Bethlehem, where their lineage was actually found so that they could... They could account for that they could, um, they could show up to the place that they were supposed to be to prove their lineage according to prophecy, that they're not of the line of Caesar. They do not belong to Caesar. They belong to the line of David, and therefore they are not citizens of Rome. They're citizens of Jesus. They're not from the, the empire of Rome. They're from the family of Jesus. So I'm 38 and approaching midlife and trying to navigate that as calmly as I can. And uh, one of the things I've noticed this year that's uh, made midlife a little bit different than the old 20s is uh, I can empathize with Clark Griswold a little bit better than I used to in, 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 the, in the earlier years. I used to laugh at Clark Griswold. Don't laugh at Clark Griswold. He's a good dude. Uh, I cry with Clark, Clark Griswold now. I get it. Like by the end when he took his family out with that stupid chuck wagon and got the tree and, you know, had Aunt Bethany come over and has the chainsaw out by the last part of the movie and he's like sawing down parts of his stairs and just losing his head. I'm like, I get it, man. Clark I get it. Like, I, uh, I want to get my, uh, my little moose eggnog cup out, too, and just, like, uh, burn Eddie's uh, trailer to the ground or whatever. I get it. You know, Jimmy Stewart, poor old guy, just did good his whole life. Lost his hearing, saved his brother, you know, and uh, went, stayed home, traded his destiny away to keep the bank alive, save the town. And what does he get for it? You know, he's at the end of his rope screaming at the third grade teacher about Zuzu's pedals and, you know, whose jacket that she has on. I get it, man. He's losing it. It's Christmas time. I understand. Even Arnold, you know, a highly underrated movie, in my opinion, only 26% of Rotten Tomatoes on Jingle All the Way. Turbo Man, where's my Turbo Man? Just loses it. He was a good guy. Had a great camel colored uh, turtleneck under his flannel there. Just wanted to have a good time. You know, he's just trying to be a dad and. Uh, what is it, Phil Hartman or whatever has the trees and safely nestled under the tree. I get it. I get the crazy dad thing. Uh, something about December can catch up on you, bring the worst out of you. Sometimes the best, but also the worst. There's this despair that can hit because it feels like dads and moms and just all of us, that every year there's this kind of census audit that runs on us from the world. I don't know about you, but every December I just run this like audit on my life. And I'm like, they don't really love you. You don't really have what it takes. You're not really getting anything done. You're not actually going to be able to provide for your family. Like, it's all going to turn around, and you're going to be stuck here in this sin pattern in 365 days. I mean, good luck with your New Year's resolution, but this is where you're going to end up. There's this audit at December. I don't know about you, but it hits me every single December, this census of what is life really for. And if, and if I wasn't here, would it even matter? And and does any of this really matter? And I work so hard for, you know, all the kids and keeping everything together. And does my husband even listen to me and even care? And like, am I just playing the fool? Like there's these voices that haunt us in December 
amid all the Christmas music and the eggnog and all the stuff we're supposed to be happy about, the census comes again, you're not enough. You still didn't do enough. You still don't have enough around you. You still don't have people around you. You still don't have enough value. You belong, you don't belong to the citizen, to, to the kingdom of heaven. You belong to Caesar. So get back to your census and come get counted. And this Christmas story, right? Like, like while, while Caesar makes decrees, God makes decisions. And he was using even the evil, even the, even the marching beat of, of who he thought ran the world, like the entire Roman world is getting counted in this census. But Jesus is not counting Mary and Joseph as part of the empire, but as part of the family of Jesus, that they're counted with Jesus. And so if you have ears to hear me today, if the spirit is inside of you, I believe he's going to affirm what I'm going to tell you is that if you're in Jesus, Christmas tells you you are counted with Jesus. You're not a name, you're a number, or you're not a number, you're a name to Jesus, and you're counted like him. He counts you, the Father counts you, whatever was accounted to Jesus is credited to your account by grace and not by anything that you do. And so you're a friend of God. I don't know if you have ears or faith to hear me on that this morning, but you are a, if you are in Jesus, God is your friend. Just like Zechariah and Elizabeth could not stay away from the baby shower to rejoice with Mary when Mary was pregnant. It was as though they were pregnant. I mean, they were pregnant with John, but they were just as excited for Jesus being born. So it is that everything that you are rejoicing in your heart with right now, God rejoices with you because he's your friend. And just like they would weep together, right? As, as I'm sure they would make their way through life. God is your friend in the sense that he weeps with you because you are counted with Jesus. You are accounted and censused with Jesus. That you are a son or a daughter. You're accounted with Jesus, and so you are a son or a daughter. That Mary and Joseph were included in the family of God as, as, as a part of the household of God. These virgins in this precarious situation become part, part of the family of God by grace, not by human decision, but by the Holy Spirit. You too, because you are counted like Jesus, are the good Samaritan. You are the neighbor that goes out like the shepherd and and shares the good news. You have a a pivotal role to play because you're not counted with Rome, you're counted with Jesus. And that's, that's what the census of heaven actually says. So Luke 2 continues and it says this, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born and she gave birth to her firstborn son. Firstborn, but not the last. I mean, not just for Mary, but for the creation, for the new creation. This is only the first that would be born again. The firstborn son is born on Christmas, and she wrapped him with cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them in the inn. They say that God is not the author of confusion. I agree with that. God is not the author of confusion. God does not use division. God does not use sickness. God does not, does not create calamity. God is, God's, God's good and does not tempt his children. Like He does not use evil. He does not make evil, I should say, and create evil for its purposes, so he is not a confusing God. But that does not preclude the ability for us as human beings, not God, to be pretty confused sometimes. Like if I'm Abraham and I'm told to leave the land that I'm supposed to go to a place that is going to be undisclosed, I'm still pretty confused. And when he tells me after all these years to have a baby and I have the baby and tells me to take him up the hill to sacrifice him, I'm not having clarity in that moment. I'm still confused. So to say that God is not the author of confusion means he's not confused. And as the reader in hindsight, we're not confused. But if I'm Abraham or Noah or any of the disciples on a day-to-day basis, I'm pretty confused. My girlfriend, who I'm supposed to be married, is pregnant, but we're both virgins. It's pretty confusing if you don't have the beginning or the end of the story. We're supposed to get married, 
and she's been impregnated by the Holy Spirit, which is supposed to be in a tabernacle, by the way, not in Bethlehem, is confusing. And there's no space for him. Here's the, if God's in charge of those in charge, he ought to show me by having me give birth to something other than a wooden pail where animals are supposed to eat out of. He's not the author of confusion, but it doesn't mean that if you're a disciple that you're not sometimes just a little bit confused. Because you're a human, and because you're not, because you're not God. You're not omnipotent. And so if you've ever seen this commercial before, it's, uh, it's called It's Not About the Nail. Have you ever seen this commercial? It's an older one. used to do in marriage counseling. Uh, the girl's got the nail in her head, and she's talking to her husband on the couch, and she's like, it just hurts so bad. She's like, I just feel this pressure in my forehead. It's like it sticks with me, and it's like I wonder if it's ever going to go away. Like, that's the hard part. Like, it hurts now, but like, what if it just hurts forever? I just, I don't know why my head hurts so much. And the husband look over and he's like, well, you do have a nail in your forehead. <laughs> he's like, I kind of think that some of that might have to do with it. And if we were to just get that, and she's like, you always try to fix it. Stop trying to fix it. I don't want you to come and fix it. I just want you to listen. He's like, all right. So then she's like, I mean, it's been going on for on and on and on. It's like really hard to sleep. And she's like, and all of my sweaters keep getting snagged. Like, I don't know why my sweaters are just like snagged all the time. You know what I mean? And the husband like bites his tongue and he just goes, yeah, that must be really hard. And she goes, you get it, finally. And they try to kiss and she goes, ow. And he's like, see, you should have taken the nail out of your forehead, you know. We laugh at that, but when we're in her shoes, We don't want the advice. We want the empathy, right? Like when you come home from work, your wife might have the right answer that you could have, should have, would have done, but you don't want the answer. You want her to listen, right? You want her to walk alongside you and care. When we're in the middle of our pain and our struggle and our confusion, we don't want advice. We want empathy. We want care. We want care. And so as much as we would think, like in the situation, whatever situation you're in, whether it's despair or heartache or confusion, We remind ourselves, like, it's not actually the clarity that brings comfort. It's the presence. It's like you you have people in worse circumstances. You and you've been in worse circumstances with you with more peace, even though you've got bigger storms outside your boat, because of the presence of God in your life. And so, therefore, it's not really, if you were honest with yourself, it's not the answers that brings the peace. It's the presence. It's his nearness that ultimately brings the comfort that we so much desire. And so Mary and Joseph is an encouraging story because it gives us a picture of what it looks like to be confused but close to Jesus. There is peace in her heart. It says among all the responses, I love Mary's response at the manger of adoration. It says she treasured these things like a mother would do. They were off in amazement and wonder and hooting and holler and celebrate, and she just had this treasuring feeling in her heart, confused as you possibly could be. I could not tell you a story more confusing from a biblical perspective, right, or a human perspective, than this person, right, than Mary and Joseph, but yet she's treasuring with joy in her heart because she's close to Jesus. And so I could preach to you this morning, and you could preach to yourself, it's not about the clarity that you need, it's the closeness that you need. To seek the closeness, to know the closeness of Jesus, to know the closeness of Jesus, you would rather be hated by a thousand enemies but be a friend of God and have peace, right? Tell yourself that. You'd rather have less but have Jesus. You'd rather have the storms on outside and giants on the hills in front of you, but you know that you know that you know that you are where God has you. You walk away with peace and not chaos because of the presence of Jesus, 
because his proximity is in your life, to know that the plan that you have in front of you, you can look back with a clear conscience and know you, you did nothing to stray and nothing to, to abandon, right? And, and, and that you, you would rather be fruitful in doing something he's called you to do than successful at something he hasn't called you to do. You'd rather have Jesus. You'd rather be close. So it closes up in this, Luke 2, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And so the translation that I have for this passage when I'm reading it just in my heart and my spirit, the words that I hear ringing out of this passage from heaven and ringing in this room today is that Jesus is here, that he's here, that he did not take your lack of permission to come into your life um, as, as, his response, as his answer, that he came into your life unwelcomed, however old you are, could have been 12 years old or right now, that he continues to interrupt your life because he's good enough to do so, that he is, he is, he is knocking on your door, consistently persisting. He is, rejecting, he is rejecting your rejection. And he has made you an unsuccessful sinner. If, if Christ is in you, then you have everything that Christ has. Now, today, you have his life and his peace and his wisdom and his joy and his forbearance and his kindness. They are all yours in Jesus because he took everything that you deserve to give you everything that he has. That he that knew no sin became sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteous of God. He took your past to give you his past. He took your future to give you his future. And he took your present to give you his presence. And he is dwelling in you today. And there's an unending, unending rollout of the Christmas season, 2,000 or 3,000 or however many years that it is that the Lord is going to measure out in his sovereign will to bring the good news of Bethlehem to the nations. And he's not failed in doing that. There's 3 billion people on the earth celebrating today about this good news still 2,000 years after. And so the question is, if the announcement from heaven today is that Jesus is here, then the question for you and for me is, then where are you? If you feel cold and distant from the Lord today, remember that when the shepherds encountered Jesus, they were far off. They were in no man's land, faithfully walking alongside, doing what they were supposed to do, diligently caring for their sheep, but not encountering the presence of God. And it was God that found them, not them that found God. That God broke in and invaded heaven and earth right there in front of those shepherds for no other reason than favor, than grace, because he decided to choose them for that. And so heaven splits open and grace comes down onto these shepherds. And their terror, their absolute terror, is transformed into joy because of what they see and because of what they hear in Jesus. And so your emotions, like God gives you emotions because you have emotions. And God can use all of your emotions, but he cannot take your silence. If you go look in the book of Psalms, it's one of the longest books in the Bible. If you go look at them, there's every emotion in the book, from despair, despair to apathy to longing to guilt to shame. Like every emotion in the book is registered in the book of Psalms because God's the, God's the one that put those emotions in the book of Psalms, and God's the one that allowed you to have the emotions in you because he has emotions. Emotions is what makes you like the Lord. Emotions are not evil things. It's just that when the emotions drag us off into something other than the Lord and into ourselves and inward rather than towards him and towards Jesus, 
that ultimately causes the emotions to be our greatest liabilities or our greatest gifts. But here's the the thing that I would want to say to you if you feel cold and far off, is that ultimately the emotions that you are feeling, and Timothy spoke about this in the first first kind of installment of of, of the series for Zechariah and Elizabeth, is, um, is those emotions are there to take you to Jesus. Here's the, here's the crazy thing right now, is it, it, if you are experiencing depression and anxiety and despair and apathy in levels that you've never felt before, potentially, according to the testimony of the shepherd, you might actually be closer to God than ever before. Because maybe it means that your eyes are being widened to some things that you were numb to in the past, and God's not evacuating your life. He's expanding your vision to understand who he really is to show you the real him and not the Sunday school version of him. And potentially those emotions are not something to fight, but something to submit, that all of those emotions are, are vehicles to get discipled by Jesus with. And so that's the, that's the difference is that, is that there's all sorts of emotions under the sun, but the only emotion that keeps us distant from God is the silence, is the, is the avoiding and the running away from them. If you present yourself to God, this is the gift, right? It's not the Amazon gift card. It's bringing yourself to the altar, bringing yourself to the manger to encounter him. If you're far off, I wonder what it looks like to present your emotions, however raw they are, to Jesus, that you might find him to be realer than you think, that you might find him at the other end of that terror or feeling that you're afraid to feel. Secondly, what if you're like the innkeeper in this place? You know, like, can imagine that Jesus is being born right under your nose. You're the innkeeper, but you're too busy and your Holiday Inn Express is too full up that you got to have Jesus out in the backyard. Anybody here too busy to recognize Jesus right in their backyard? That maybe missed Jesus because they're a stranger walking down the street or they're a walk with, with a friend that we needed to have? What if you're so close, but you haven't tasted the gift of the Spirit or the gift of Jesus? Then my word to you today potentially would be to make space. Like the innkeeper misses the presence of Jesus because there was no room for him in his house. And he's everywhere, but he'll dwell where he's wanted. And he will continue to, 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 to call on you, but he is, he is a respectful, uh, a respectful um, friend. He does not pound down the door and insists on your attention. He will continually pursue you and pursue you. And so potentially if you're in this place where you feel on the cusp of, I feel like God has been pursuing me and speaking to me in these ways, what does it look like to just create space, an hour of time, a walk with a friend, a journal and a pen, a time with God. Like your grandkids will thank you for the moments that you spend with Jesus this Christmas. And lastly, what if you're here? I mean, what if he's right here everywhere around you and there's just chill bumps on your skin and you're having to dumb yourself down and be mindful of the people that are sadder than you? Like there's space for you at the manger too. If you are here, then the call of the, of, of the gospel in these passages is to go and share it. Like I mentioned it this year or this, this last Sunday, the people with the biggest smiles in your life might be the ones you need to check on the most. Check on the ones that are always in a good mood and check on the ones that are not here. And, and the spirit of God has put you in a place like he does not give you the gift that is not supposed to be given away. The way that, that we could steward his presence is to, be present, is to be present in others. And so this is the deal. This is the one thing I learned, I guess, in this whole book report of studying the nativity these last couple of weeks is they didn't really bring frankincense as myrrh so much as they brought themselves. They brought their whole heart, all of their fears and anxieties and longings and feelings and all the things that they have, 
They just took God at his word that grace was coming, that peace was coming through grace. That God found us while we were not looking for him and that all that he's asking is that we would bring ourselves wholeheartedly before him to the manger this Christmas. That's all that he asked for, nothing more, nothing less. So if the heavenly announcement is that he's here, then the heavenly question, I think, is asking is, where are you? Where are you? And where are you in this journey towards the nativity to be moved in any kind of spiritual or emotional place that you are right now, any location geographically right now, to come and see, to come and taste, and to go and tell um, this Christmas around the manger? Thanks again for joining us. If you have been encouraged or challenged by this message, please give us feedback by leaving a comment on this podcast. For more information on our church, visit us at www.citylights.cc. 